Hello and welcome to the Saturday Down South podcast. He is Chris Marler. I am Connor O'Gara. Marler, it is time for Just Met More. Yeah. Today, very, very special day. We have never done basketball before, but that is what we are doing today because right now, if you're listening to this on Thursday, not to depress everybody, but this would have been the opening round Ugh. of the NCAA tournament. Now, I don't mean to be a downer. We're going to take your mind off of the fact that you could be watching games right now. And instead, we're going to go back in time. And instead, we're going to go back to a time, 2008, when Georgia completed this run in the SEC tournament that was just unlike anything we'd ever seen for a variety of mm-hmm. reasons. A big one being, oh, by the way, a tornado ripped through downtown Atlanta. Yeah, that was a thing. That was, that a, was thing. a thing. That was a thing. Still even weird to go back and think about that. But for preparation for this, usually with a Just Met More, we will go back and we'll watch an old game. And originally when we were throwing out the idea of how best we could cover this, given the timely elements and you know, given the, the similarities, I think, that kind of made people think of the 2008 tournament when all this talk about you know playing the the 2020 sec tournament and the ncaa tournament in front of no fans i think a lot of people were like hey you know we we found a way to make this work back in 2008 the difference of course being that in 2008 they still continued the tournament they just moved it to georgia tech they actually continued the game that night post tornado between alabama and mississippi state which I don't think that happens. He's not happy about that? I don't think that happens today, but it happened then. Yeah. So there were some similarities in that regard. But what a what a strange thing to, to look back on. And so to best tell this story, and what I recommend you do, is go back and watch the SEC story documentary Miracle 3. It is available on YouTube for a buck ninety-nine. I think on most cable providers. If you have SEC network, you can watch this on demand. Am I am I correct in that? So I have Comcast and uh, the worst. yeah, it's on demand. Comcast, well, Comcast is awful. They've been like surprisingly they like they've been a lot better than I thought they would be. But um, yeah, usually their customer service is, is the worst. Ugh. But uh, I told you when I moved in, I was like I was like outside talking to my neighbor, like waiting on them. He was like, well, we'll be there from three to five. I was like, yeah, you'll be here at like nine a.m. tomorrow. Yeah, and I was like just talking blank about them to my neighbor. Like that was like my introductory. Like little <laughs> little conversation with them, and as I said, I was like, you know, they're not going to be here for hours. They just turned the corner, so they've actually been kind of they've been fine. But anyway, they um you can get that on demand. I think for the SEC Network, they actually have all of the uh, of the docs. They have like the SEC Story docs, mm-hmm. which I wish they would do with Thirty for Thirty, but that's neither here. Nor they right. have that on ESPN Plus, where if you have access to that, you can you you you'd be able to see the the library of content that they have. But we recommend going back and rewatching this doc because it tells this story in a way that even if you just kind of go back and randomly click on articles, you probably can't quite find. And it's a it's a tremendous doc if you have 50 minutes of time during this coronavirus yeah. stuff to, to, to spare with all your social distancing. So a brief little rundown here of what was going down. For those who don't remember this and they're, they're relying on us to sort of set the scene for them. A tornado hit the Georgia Dome in the middle of the quarterfinal game for the SEC tournament between Alabama and Mississippi State. That's right. A tornado hit the Georgia Dome, which a tornado coming through Atlanta had never, downtown Atlanta, that had never happened yeah. before, as they as they said in the doc. And so this happens during, at the end of actually happens in overtime while all this is happening. But what this doc does really details and the the reason for the title miracle three 
is because this three-point shot that ultimately Alabama hits at the end of regulation essentially saved the lot could have saved thousands of lives and people being at risk of being outside wandering the streets of downtown Atlanta while all this was going on. Meanwhile, all this stuff happens. They move the the event to Georgia Tech Stadium, ironically enough, and then little old Georgia, the worst team in the SEC this year, pulls off something that we've never seen before and we've never seen since, which was win two games in the same day and then turn around that the, the day after on Sunday and win the SEC championship. An unbelievable story that you kind of just had to be there or you had to rewatch something like this to believe it. Yeah, so like I definitely remember this from happening. And I, I kept saying like last week, I was like, I think this would be a much better mm-hmm. you know episode than doing like the Kentucky Arkansas one from ninety five, even though that those, you know, that was, that's an incredible game and two incredible teams. But this was like just such a ridiculous, like just series of events you know what i mean not even just with the georgia like winning it and like being like, the worst team in the league or whatever but also just with like you said everything that happened the tornado going downtown you just don't ever see that and i actually i watched the doc twice back to back because i was like sick brag. even even but even even like like i i remember this happening i remember watching the bama game live in milledgeville in my apartment apartment 222 the grove milledgeville georgia um i didn't remember how many crazy things happened that weekend like i mean the fact they won like you said they played two games in the same day and that they that hadn't been done in 47 years the fact they won three games in 30 hours it's just the whole thing was nuts it was uh just bizarre set of circumstances and the sec deserves a lot of credit for the pivoting that they did to be able to have this event and there was talks you know, uh, former SEC commissioner, the late Mike Sly, have talked about the desire to potentially just cancel the tournament altogether and to just crown the regular season champion as the automatic qualifier. Of course, had that happened, we never would have seen Georgia win in really unprecedented fashion. We'll dig into that a little bit more later, but just a couple of other details about kind of how this all went down. So, you know, the, the scene of watching scaffolding fall from the Georgia Dome and everybody just kind of looking up and remember this is in the pre-Twitter existence where you can't just hop on your phone and be like oh I saw that they just canceled all the games or whatever such a crazy wild scene to look at up at the the roof of the Georgia Dome and they said it in the dock it looked like bed sheets going down on yeah. a bed like that's <laughs> the way that things were moving 130 mile an hour 130 mile per hour winds outside and everybody's just like kind of looking around like what in the world are we doing camera starts going fuzzy it looks like 1989 world series you know all over again i mean like bizarre set of circumstances i I mean i just i've never seen anything quite like that in the middle of a game and then to have that happen conference championship weekend when the schedule is so condensed just made everything that much more atypical yeah, I mean, like, so I, I didn't remember this happening during the actual broadcast because, like I said, I was watching it live. I don't remember them staying on air because they said it in the doc. They stayed on air for 64 minutes, minutes, which, like, Tim Brando, we have different views on him. I do, too. Um, I do, too. I By the yeah. way, he, he I, so I messaged him because I thought what he did was super impressive. I, I had no idea, like you said, that they were on for 64 minutes. So he actually, I, I tweeted like an appreciation of what he did. He had this this quick response. Sorry, sorry to interrupt you on that, but he said uh, it was as unique a situation as any I'd ever dealt with at the time in my career. Our crew was impeccable. Our line producer at the time, Dave Berenger, is as creative as they come, and Alex Farmentino 
uh, Farmartino, sorry about that, Alex, uh, worked his tail off getting pictures, total team efforts. So there's one thing that you can agree with Tim Brando on. I mean, Did you follow up with him and ask him why he blocked me ever? Um, didn't get to that. Didn't get to that. Okay, we'll figure it out someday. <laughs> no, but so like that is an incredibly impressive thing to fill up that much uh, airtime, like 64 minutes. See, I don't remember that happening because I, I felt like we were far enough, like Milledgeville was like an hour and a half away from Atlanta. So we were far enough away from the storms. I don't remember it being that crazy in Milledgeville. But I, I definitely remember like this, like the, the TV or the cable just going out, like just going out. And I'm sure there were storms like in Milledgeville because it's not super far away. But I remember like the cable just going out and there's like two minutes and like 50 seconds to go in overtime of the Bama game. And I'm like, what? And like you said, there's no Twitter. Like I had no idea what was going on. Just like I'm in my apartment by myself, losing my mind. It's also a Friday night and I'm in college. So I probably should have been like going out and having fun. But I was like, what the hell is happening? Like whatever Grove internet cable we were paying for at the time, which was probably like $7 a month. So I was pretty irate because you just, you didn't know what was going on until they came back. And like at that point, like no one else was reporting on it. Like like they didn't say anything right away on, on SportsCenter and you weren't close enough to Atlanta to have like, you know, like the local news, I have like breaking, there's a tornado. You just kind of sat there like, what in the hell just happened? And the strange thing is, so while all this is going down and they're trying to figure out, well, are we best to cancel the game, the rest of the game and, and tell everybody to go home? They're like, oh, wait, there's a, there is a tornado going on outside right now. We can't just send 20,000 right. people outside of the stadium and have them at risk. But at the same time, like you've got all these weird dynamics where, I mean, there was the Georgia Dome just looked like a war zone. I mean, some of the shots that they had in the dock where water is just pouring down the stairs and you've got metal panels popping off. I mean, just like bizarre stuff that's going down. And meanwhile, all these people are in this stadium trying to watch a conference tournament game. And, you know, the the thing that I, I still like, you know, watching some of the images of, of downtown Atlanta was just crazy, by the way. They even had, I think it was the chairman of the Omni Hotel, a place where we, you know, spent a lot of time work. For, for SC Media Days, a place where you that you know really, really well. I mean, like, seeing the shots of downtown Atlanta and what these people could have been exposed to, is, is crazy. I mean, I, I can't picture th that type of disaster going through a major city. I still can't get over that. The the pillars in Centennial Olympic Park oh, yeah, great that point. were like 45 feet tall and like, you know, like obviously very, very heavy, those toppling over, because like the stuff going through like the, like I think the, they said in totality, I think it was $250 million in damage. Yep. Which like, uh, that's, it's hard to even wrap your head around that because it was so quick. It happened just like in, in an instant. And like you even heard like the meteorologist they were talking to said, I, I was like, I almost felt like angry and like misinformed. Like you're not, you know, that uh, I think it's a gif now. And also it used to be like a, like a video from Chris Fowler where he's like, he's like, what? Oh, yeah. Like, getting yeah. coffee. And all of a sudden he's like, <laughs> you lied to me. Like that's how I felt because he was like, you know, we knew there were going to be a lot of tornadoes the next day. And I was like, hold on, what? Mm -hmm. We knew this was going to happen. So obviously it happens like, you know, in the middle of the night. And if you've ever, if you've never been in like a tornado like warning, watch, whatever. That's one thing I wrote down that I uh, forgot about because I every single time I, I hear tornado watch or warning, I forgot. I always forget which one's worse. Yeah, like every single time. Um, warning like is worse night, than watch, right? Yeah, I think warning. watch is worse than warning because I think watch means it's like there. I don't know. I don't want to do this right now. Okay, I've right. got a lot of stuff to talk about. <laughs> um, but no, it's like if you've ever been in like a tornado, um, like you know, a scare at least, like especially at night. That's there's nothing more terrifying because you can't see. Like in the daytime, he's like, you know, the, the sky's gonna turn like a, like a greenish color, and you know, 
you can kind of see it coming. This just kind of came out of nowhere. And I can't imagine like how terrifying it would be to be in the dome itself and then not know where to go. Like you can't run outside. Right. You've seen the Wizard of Oz. You know what happens. Fair spoiler. But also, alert. not good. Alonzo G is at the line shooting free throws. Like I just, you know, usually just get those like balloon animals in the in the like behind the backboard and just wave them back and forth. No, we got a damn tornado come through. That first shot back was an absolute dud. Um, Dude, I that's the first thing I wrote down on my notes. I wrote down two things about the actual like like tournament itself, and then it went right into how disappointed I was in this stupid Bama basketball team. So that they they end up actually continuing the game, that quarterfinal game and finishing out, which is crazy. And like I said, don't think that happens in 2020. But they ultimately decide, oh, this game that was supposed to continue after Kentucky against Georgia, where all these Kentucky fans who had made it Catlanta, as they always do, were not too happy to see that the game was postponed to the next day. And oh, by the way, it was going to be at Georgia Tech. And just in case that wasn't enough, your tickets weren't going to be honored. It was just going to be a friends and family type deal, which I'm sure that was a really tough decision to have to make because they simply could not accommodate the 20,000 fans that they had at the Georgia Dome at Georgia Tech. So that that created a, a whole different set of circumstances. So like all this is going down and it sort of sets the stage for, okay, Meanwhile, like Georgia is just sitting there as this team that has nothing to lose whatsoever. You find out after that Dennis Felton was doing a lot of the negotiation to say like, hey, let's play because he knows that the only way his team is getting into the play in the dark. Yeah, we don't care. We'll play. We'll play wherever. But it sets the stage for this weekend that Georgia has. And I think that all of these things happening, and if you watch the doc, all of this kind of goes down in the first like 20 minutes or so. That, but and they really get, dig into that before they really get into anything related to Georgia basketball. Yeah. Um, so I mean, we'll get into the Georgia basketball part of it, which was they lost 10 out of 12. Um, before we do that, before we do that, and we will, I promise, we're going to get into that. And I actually thought that makes I was, me look really bad because it's the one thing I brought up about Georgia basketball. I have so many true. complimentary things to say. That is true. Um, before we do that, and I promise, we're going to get to a lot of Georgia basketball stuff. Can you real quick tell us about our friends at Bet Online? Guys, listen, coronavirus sucks. It's the worst. Um, I will say, usually you have so many distractions to distract us from how awful this is. Uh, or things like this are. We don't really have that as much right now because we don't have March Madness. We've got a lot of other stuff. We got hit up today on Twitter about a uh, a fishing tournament. Yeah, I'll bet on that. Um, go to betonline.ag today. Set up an account. You can bet on anything. There's there's still sports going on in this world. Yeah, kind not just of, esports. Kind of. Not just cricket. There's something called snooker. I don't know what that is. I think that's that short little gerbil face girl from from Jersey Shore. Yep, I don't know. That's it. Um, she's built like a guinea pig, but she's super sweet. So you, I don't, you could possibly bet on that. Regardless, go check it out. There's plenty of things to keep you entertained. Go play some poker, um, whatever you want to do to help pass the time while we are all still uh, in isolation. Sorry for taking away your transition. It was seamless. It really was. Well, so you tell me how you want to go through this because I have, I went down so many rabbit holes with this with this <laughs> thing, and it was like. I had so much fun with it. I had so much fun with this one. Probably, honestly, more so than any other uh, adjustment more that, that we've had. We're going to do um, some of the things that we usually do with adjustment more and some of the things that we don't do because we realize this is this is basketball and we're watching a doc as opposed to one specific game. So I want to 
We'll do some of the same things. One of the things that is similar is we'll go through the director um, and, and the A-listers, I think, and the prominent extras. Uh, that's an important part of this, I think. And the Dennis Felton thing, I'm not sure if they really wanted to go down that road very much in the doc. But for those who don't know, the Georgia basketball coach who uh, had worked under Rick Barnes for six years at Providence and Clemson, uh, went to three straight NCAA tournaments at Western Kentucky, and he was at Georgia during this time, and he was kind of on the end of the rope. Mark Schlebach did this piece, basically how the program was kind of in shambles going into this tournament. And there were some bizarre quotes that came out of this story from you know guys like Sundiata Gaines. And I mean, it was just weird seeing them talk about a program like this going while the season was going on. It looks like a story that was written about a coach after he was fired. Now, it was a big struggle for Felton, and in part because of what he inherited from Jim Herrick, who um, the the academic scandal that Jim Herrick's son was a part of was kind of like UNC before UNC. That's what it sounded like. Uh, He gave gave all these uh, Georgia basketball players an A for a basketball strategy class that they didn't go to. Um, He was... That seems like the easiest class to go to. Right? Like, why wouldn't you want to go to that class? That's, that'd be fun. Yeah. I, I wouldn't mind that. Um, but, yeah, he got suspended, eventually resigned at the end of the 2003 season. His son, by the way, got a seven-year show cause penalty from the NCAA. Seven years! That's pretty impressive. Goodness. Nobody was going to hire him anyways. But, I mean, this is the same guy who actually won a national title with Ed O'Bannon at UCLA back in 95. The O'Bannon brothers yeah. and Ty Sedney. Yeah, people forget that. So, anyways, that's my way of saying Dennis Felton didn't inherit the best situation at Georgia, but he didn't do anything to make it better. And as you brought up earlier, had won or had had lost ten of twelve games coming into the SEC tournament. But Felton, the one thing he said, despite all that, he's like, you know what? We're just gonna go. We're just gonna go crazy. We're we're not gonna pace ourselves. We don't care what the circumstances are. And that was the best possible thing that he could have said, even though his team pretty much ran out of gas in the beginning of the second half and these teams would come back and go on runs. He was like, we're just going to leave it all out there. They had, I mean, guys were getting IVs in between, you know, the first and second game. I mean, like the job that he did coaching within this weekend, I don't think that really speaks to how his tenure went to Georgia, but he did everything right during this stretch. So, and this is what was so interesting about this and, and like, like the rabbit holes I got into and, and like, I remember this team very, very like vividly because you know Milledge was only like an hour away from from Athens, and I like I was done playing baseball at the time. Um, my my roommate at the time, Tyler Tidwell, who's uh, still a good buddy of mine, his his dad was, you know, they, they had a house like right off Millage Avenue, Millage and Henderson. Like we would go up there all the time in the spring, you know, and and, and we went to several games and stuff like this. I, I had a Dave uh, Dave Bliss T shirt jersey, number forty two, lefty legend. Okay. Yeah, so. I remember this season a lot, and and we were watching it and everything like that. And it was, a, it was an interesting time for Georgia in general. And this is one of the things I, I was like so fascinated by, like looking up was you had this season in football in 2007 where they they had this tremendous run, and and you have so much hype around the program, like where and I still say this, like I love Jacob Hester and all that, and I know LSU won the national title here. I will say, like till the day I die, that Georgia was the best football team in the country in 2007. At the end of that season, there's not a team in the country that would beat them. So you have the end of that season and all this excitement coming from, you know, you go to a Sugar Bowl and like, like I said, like Nocho Moreno and the blackout game, all this other stuff. And it goes into basketball season, which wasn't ever great. You know, like I, I think they had, they'd only made it in like the tournament. They'd only made it past the second round once since 1997. Um, it wasn't like great, like 
a great basketball school by any means, but it was still something that like they wanted to be good at. Obviously, like the fans wanted more. Like they they had a a pretty good team uh, in two thousand three, I think, or two thousand two with Jarvis Hayes and all that kind of stuff. But it became this weird thing with with Georgia where they were on the cusp. It always felt like of of kind of like getting these huge super recruits and turning the program, like turning a corner in the program because Georgia is such a hotbed of recruiting for basketball. But it was like, it always ended up being this like what might've been case, you know? And like, mm-hmm. I, I talked to you about this beforehand and where you had Lewis Williams, Lou Williams from South Gwinnett High School, five-star, one of the top players in the entire country, committed to Georgia. His teammate, Mike Mercer, also a five-star from South Gwinnett High School. This is the same region that I played in, by the way. So that, were they committed in the 2009 class then that Felton no. was supposed to sign? Or 2008? No, they were committed in 2005. So they were they were a year younger than me when they graduated high school. Right. So we're oh so oh so you're saying like because of the Felton era, that's what that's what swept them out. No. So I'm saying you have so you have all this excitement around the program because of these players coming in. Like Georgia hadn't signed players like that in in forever. Like just they just didn't go to. But you got to think like they had Georgia Tech to compete with. You have all these other schools to compete with. Like in Atlanta, they were getting these these players. A lot of them didn't go to Georgia. This was like one of the first big signees they'd had in quite some time. Right. So, so when, Williams and, when were they supposed to? Sorry, sorry, interrupt. They signed they, in 2005. They signed, but were they supposed to join Georgia's 2005 class? They did. Yes. Lou Williams went pro. Right, right, right. Mike right. Mercer joined it. So you have you have these guys that were like supposed to kind of turn the program. We with Mike Mercer who played there for two and a half years. And was this is what I'm getting team, to. Yeah. And he was kicked off the team this season. Mm-hmm. And then, and he was the best player on the team by far. Yeah. And then you had guys like Channing Tony, um, and then Billy Humphrey. So all three of these guys played in in the same region I played in, in high school. And so you have a guy like Channing Tony, like where like I understand that you know a lot of people put up like numbers in, in high school, but these guys had they were probably the three best players in the history of that like, county, and 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 had these just crazy crazy like hype surrounding them. And then you have. Lo and behold, I know, um, what do you call it? Who left? Uh, Billy Humphrey was still there. Then you have Channing Tony left, and he was um, like one of their best shooters, obviously. He went to UAB. So you lose him before the season. Then you lose Mike Mercer, and that's because of the Felton thing. So Felton had kind of, I don't want to say mismanaged, but he didn't get all of those players that were supposed to be the turning, like the, the guys that helped turn this, this program around. And it was kind of his own fault. They lost six and players then, in two years basically right. in that stretch and that was huge and yeah. they were all like their best players mm-hmm. like they were all their best players and so yeah you still have some talent but like when you talk about the iv thing and getting to this weekend they only had seven players like they he said they played six or seven people the entire uh nine tournament. scholarship guys and, like for yeah. the most yeah no, eight it was eight was it they, they kept saying nine no i'm sorry Doc. i think he said it was eight well, slaybox said it was it was nine but he, like felton kept saying it was eight and they had one that was a walk-on yeah Gosh, I mean, so it was just, I mean, like, they, like there was the year before this, I think 2006 or after that class, they only signed one player. It was like, it was just, they were very thin. I And Felton, I mean, this, this, this run, if he didn't do what he did with a team that was in no position whatsoever to go on a run like this in such short time, I mean, is he fired after that? Probably. And instead they waited. Well, this until, is only year two, right? No, 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 no. This was like year five that he was there. Oh. Yeah, I think it was yeah. it was year five that this that all this had happened, and it was year six in which he got fired. He got they got off to like an zero and five start in SEC play. So real quick, just let me but the end of the deep dive. I promise. What was so interesting about this, and like just being someone that grew up in the state of Georgia, was this was like I felt like at least unprecedented from a term like just a from an entire athletic department, multiple programs that were signing the most elite talent in the state and, and having like, you know, this 2005 thing I kept talking about with Lou Williams, I think that was so important to, to kind of 
just his name going to like committing to that school was very big mm-hmm. for the program. Then you have like the baseball program who same year, 2005, they signed one of the best classes in the country and you have 18 players in a, in a baseball class, which is outrageous. You only get 11.7 scholarships. And I think like 10 of them or so end up going pro because he had all these like crazy talented guys that were in the top three rounds. So it just, again, you kind of miss out on some of the talent, but that team ended up going to the College World Series and finishing like runner-up in 2008. Beckham, yeah. So it was just like so that in that 2005 year, Georgia had also just won the SEC championship in football. So it, it kind of felt like this whole multi-sport thing, this whole athletic department was going to take over the SEC. At least that's how I felt at the time. But heading into this this tournament, it was not built for Georgia. It, it just wasn't in, in any way, shape, or form. But the one thing that did benefit Georgia was once this tornado hit. And all of a sudden, you had this change of venue where it wasn't going to feel like a road game for Georgia. And they were going to take a lot of Kentucky fans away from this game because they basically had 400 fans that were going to be able to be there. And there really wasn't this overwhelming feeling of, oh, wow, we're we're really going in the hornet's nest here. And to to Felton's credit, he replaced that. Yeah. It's a beehive. I didn't even realize I made that that reference. Come on, man. Sorry. I'm, I'm a little slow today. The one guy on that Georgia team, he is the the A-lister who I have. And I'm not even sure if he's really an A-lister in this doc. But the one guy who played in the NBA on this Georgia team was Sundiata Gaines. And he averaged 14-6-4, was a double-digit scorer all four years as a starter. But I say that he might not have even been an A-lister because he fouled out with seven minutes left against Mississippi State. And at the end of the Kentucky game, he fouled out too. Yeah, that was uh, that was not great. <laughs> like it was bad like, too. He just attacked the yeah. basket and went. What it was? It was a clear charge too. And they, they, I mean, he was like blown away that they called him on, called that on him. I'm like, what are you, what are you doing with four fouls in that situation? You're the best it, player. It was it was odd because it seemed like if you look at the story as a whole, obviously the whole story of it is like they never gave up, right? They never gave up. But it almost looked like when you see things like that, they. They were definitely giving up. Like they had, like they had lost ten of their last twelve. They they had the worst record, I think, in the league. You know, they they had just lost to Ole Miss by twelve points at home mm-hmm. in their last regular season game before they went and played Ole Miss. And which again, like, it was hard to figure out this team's identity because you uh, you want to say it's like this you know never give up attitude and against all odds Cinderella story, but they were so crazy up and down where it was like. You know, they, that first game against Ole Miss, they scored 97 points, and kind of that starts tiring them out before any of this other stuff that they yeah. played the three games in 30 hours. They hadn't scored more than 70 points in like, <laughs> they had only scored 70 points or more in five of their last 22 games. Yeah. Like, they, they were just a really bad team. And then all of a sudden, it's <laughs> just like, I don't know what happened. Bliss hits the, uh, the bank shot to beat Ole Miss in the first round game of the SEC tournament before the tornado hit. And, at the end of this Kentucky game where they're facing a Kentucky team that's got more talent. And fortunately for Georgia, Kentucky on this day did not have Jody Meeks, did not have Patrick Patterson as well, which is... Jody Meeks from Gwinnett County as well, oh, same region. Oh, there you go. that. Okay. Um, so, I mean, they, they were fortunate. We're going to, trust me, we're going to get to some Billy Gillespie stuff in a bit here. Yeah. Um, we can't not talk about Billy Gillespie. But, so Gaines goes out at the end of his Kentucky game. And true freshman Zach Swansea comes in. And I was wondering, as I'm watching this, I wonder if Marler has a good way to describe Zach Swansea. For those who don't know what exactly he looks like or kind of how he carries himself, what's the best way that you can describe that? He's like if if Marshall Henderson was like was forced to go to church. 
Oh, that's like, good. That's good. He that's he's really like good. a little bit hackier version of Marshall Henderson because he like he didn't he was actually a pretty good recruit too. He was like a top one hundred and fifty guy out of Dunwoody in Atlanta. A true but freshman. He at the did time, not right? look it. Yeah. yeah, he did not look it at all. He had the shaved head, very two thousands look that he was that he was going with here, and um, you know massive shorts, of course. So Zach Swansea comes in for gains, and in overtime, there's this play where you know they're down they're down two. And he's supposed to hand the ball off to Billy Humphrey. They're supposed to come down the court, and Billy Humphrey's supposed to get a screen, and he's supposed to have this clear handoff so Billy Humphrey, their best shooter, can take this three for the win, potentially. And the play is set up perfectly. I mean, Humphrey comes around that screen, and he is wide open. All Swansea has to do is just give him the ball. I mean, just he could have handed him the ball, and he could have had an open look at a three. Instead, he does this little, like, turnaway half-spin move. Doesn't give him the ball. He, it looked like a glitch <laughs> in NBA 2K. Like, he, he did a spin move to no one. Humphrey turns away in disgust. You can see it on the replay. He's like, what did this guy just do? I swear, Humphrey didn't even look at the shot as Swansea no, puts it up. And Swansea puts it up, and it goes in. And it, it takes the lead. And it's like, holy crap. Is this actually about to happen right now? But the, well, I watched that replay like three or four times just to see Humphrey's reaction because I'm sure every Georgia fan thought the exact same thing watching this. So, and again, I don't want to keep like harping on just how good they were in high school, but I, I remember watching this kid in high school and he had, he put up 50 plus points in two high school games, which is Dude, really? crazy. And when you have, yeah, he put like, like the county record, I think it's still like 59, and he, he has like the first and third highest Jeez. or most points scored in a game ever. So, but like when you have only, the reason I bring that up is because if you only have seven players on the team and one of them has fouled out, he's probably your go-to. Yeah. Like this guy's probably your go-to. And he he did look disgusted. And I remember like what was so crazy about this was, again, that Ole Miss game where Georgia was not a very good team. Like they were, they they were twelfth or they were tenth in the conference and like you know their scoring offense, like points per game. Like in the SEC in, in conference play, I think they were last at like sixty one or sixty four or something like that. And they were terrible on the road. Like they they were two and eleven on the year away from home. And all of a sudden, you have this like crazy amount of points scored in the first game. And the next game, they're playing Kentucky, and it was fifty to fifty at the end of regulation. Right, fifty to fifty. It's <laughs> like so. And what was amazing to me was how many chances Kentucky had to win the game. So put many. It away so many. And just couldn't. <sighs> and and so then this kid hits this shot, and it was, like, I, I I think that was the moment I was like, we had, like, there's something going on here. Yes. Like, we've got, like, a story. Okay, let's get to the prominent extras, um, Billy Gillespie. He was the SEC basketball version of Lane Kiffin in some ways. Not in all ways, but in some ways. No, Hugh Freeze. Ooh, now that's interesting. That's very interesting. Was he? Well, explain he, why you said Lane. Well, I said Lane just because the rumors of him just partying with coeds. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, with that was a, that was okay. a big deal, and part of the reason that Mitch Barnhart said that he wasn't a fit at Kentucky when he was fired after year two. Guy won SEC like coach that came out. I did not see the pictures. Was there something related to him being in a hot tub or something? I thought he was just at like a house party or something like that. Yeah, that could that could be. Um, Billy Gillespie is probably a swear in the state of Kentucky, I think, which is crazy considering he actually was SEC Coach of the Year in this first the year. The year before. Yeah, I mean, these expectations for him in this game were, were very, I mean, relatively low. Like I said, they were dealing with those absences. But, you know, this 
Uh, he actually had a lawsuit too um, that, that came out after his after he was fired because he had this agreement on a seven year deal, but he never signed the contract. Which oh yeah, why did people do that? That happened. There was some Jimbo Fisher stuff about that too. If somebody hands you a seventy five million dollar check, do that? Oh, there was something like that too. Yeah, I don't know. It, I don't know. If somebody's giving you that much money, just just sign the check and ask questions later. Um, but anyways, Billy Gillespie. The only thing that we really got of him in the doc, and I really wish that we would have been able to get an interview with him or more live sound something, we found out that Billy Gillespie was pretty vocal about having to play two games the same day, which, ironically enough, he ultimately did not have to play two games the same day because he couldn't even beat Georgia. So Billy Gillespie is, that- is a clear loser of this doc. Yeah, and it sounds like you really hate him for a lot of reasons. But, I, don't hate um, him. I don't hate him. I think he's entertaining. So, but I think it's it's interesting to like bring that up because anytime you talk about SEC basketball, especially if we're looking back at something, like the default has to be, oh, what was Kentucky that year? Like how good was Kentucky mm. that year? And I think it was one of the things that was interesting about how all this unfolded was I forgot how in a year where there was so much star power in, in college basketball and there was – you're coming off of, of like the SEC winning back-to-back national championships with Florida sure. – and then you go into the next year, and it, they were as a conference, they were so bad. Mm-hmm. Like they got six teams in the in the tournament, but you never had. I think they had one week where they had four teams ranked, but for the most part, you never had more than two or three teams ranked at a time the entire season. Um, you know, which is kind of odd because you have just this. I'm not saying this is what allowed Georgia to to make this run because it's honestly not. Like Tennessee got beat by Arkansas. Tennessee was a team that was in the top five for for most of the season. But you have this weird kind of, I don't know, like like sequence of events in this, like like in in the SEC, where you you're surprised, like hold on, like why didn't someone step forward? Like why mm-hmm. didn't why wasn't Georgia better in the regular season? Or like you know, like how are these other teams like not with with a lot of talent? How did they not take like a step forward when there was so much uncertainty? Because you have, like I said, the Florida thing is is gone. Like they they they've just won. They have three players dropped from the top ten, so they get pretty gutted. And then you look at Kentucky. This is one of this is the only season they didn't win twenty games since nineteen ninety. Yikes! The only season in program like in the last thirty years in this program where they didn't win at least twenty games. It's like one of like I think three times in the last thirty years they didn't make the NCAA well, tournament. The year so after, it was really the year bizarre. after, was, yeah, that's what I meant. Yeah, 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 the year after, it was so it was just really bizarre that it was like you would expect someone to take you know claim of the title. You still wouldn't expect it to be Georgia. Yeah, exactly. Um, the other prominent extra, and he wasn't, he, I don't think his name was even mentioned in this, but he was the best player on that Arkansas team who, um, ultimately lost to Georgia in the SEC championship on that Sunday. Sonny Weems. I hated this guy because he led Arkansas to a first round win against Indiana. That's the only reason I really wanted to bring him up because I had just decided at like probably like a month or two months earlier that I was going to go to Indiana. So of course I became an Indiana basketball fan. They had Eric Gordon, DJ White. Oh, that team should have been so much better. But Sonny Weems, first-team All-SEC guy, second-round pick by the Bulls, really, really, really good dunker. He was a fun guy to watch, but didn't really see much of him in this. But he was the guy that they sort of had to make sure that he didn't you know, put up 30 in the SEC championship. So, and this is one thing that I, I thought was the, the coolest part. I, I'm looking at, like, you know how many, how many notes I take for this. For directors, I just have Dennis Felton's name. I didn't write anything under it. Uh, <laughs> A-listers, Sunday out of Gaines, and it's spelled incorrectly. I didn't write anything under it. And then a bunch of notes about those other players I brought up earlier. The prominent extras, I thought this was probably one of the most fascinating, um, like, ongoing 
uh, I guess, like lists of people. And, and I feel like, not in a rude way, like you missed the boat on oh okay Go ahead. because Go there's ahead. some there's some incredible names from the I season. took two One off from it a, by the way I took Jody Meeks and I took um, Patrick Patterson off yeah of it, but because Meeks only played 11 games that year but um you know like he's anyway, which is why yeah, I, took like, I, I get that and Patrick Patterson he was like a, a, a top 10 player coming out of high school but he was a true you know, freshman. This, I think this was his freshman year so yeah. um, but from a coaching standpoint I remember this like almost being what I consider like the golden age of of SEC basketball because it was almost like how SEC football was in the early to mid nineties where you had these kind of like long standing coaches where you, you have Bruce Pearl who has, you know, an SEC coach. He was at Tennessee, obviously. Um, and I think it's like his sixth year there, but he's a guy that's been in the SEC for, for, uh, over 10 years. Mark Godfrey had been at Bama for over 10 years. Rick Stansberry, um, from Mississippi state, 14 years. Kevin Sollins at Vandy was a coach 17 years there. Like, so you had all these like really long standing Billy Donovan, mm. John Pelfrey. I can't believe you didn't mention him from Arkansas. Yeah. I, I didn't think that it... he's like the John Chavis of, of SEC basketball. Rick Stansberry is one. I have I have Rick Stansberry stuff later on that we're going to get to. Yeah. And then Andy Kennedy, of course, at Ole Miss. So you had you had some really, well, you, I don't know if they were great coaches, but they were coaches that had made some tournament runs and also had like a longevity that you don't really see as much anymore. From a player standpoint, you left off a man, Vernado. Oh, State, yeah. All right, fine. Yeah. The all-time NCAA leader in, in block shots. He averaged 4.6 uh, blocks a game. What was his wingspan? Think about that. 80,000? I don't know. It's just like a jet. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. It's pretty good. I'm pretty sure that's a record. Um, like I said, the Mike Mercer thing, even though he was kicked off the team. I forgot about the Tennessee team with Chris Lofton, who has the most three-pointers points, three pointers made in SC history. Chandler Parsons from Florida. Um, Wayne Chisholm. I don't know if you remember him. I know Wayne like, Chisholm with the headband. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah so my buddy, um, my, one of my best friends who like didn't like sports that much at all, but he would do the NCAA tournament every year. And this yeah. year, I remember specifically in 2008, my buddy, Stefan Viscachill, shout out. I know he's listening. Um, he, for every day, probably like once the brackets came out until this team lost, said Tennessee's winning a national championship. Tennessee's winning a national championship. Chris Lofton, Chris Lofton, Chris Lofton, Wayne Chisholm. Like all of these guys were going to make up this team and this this special run kind of in a way like what Florida did. There was expectations that Tennessee were could good. have a run like that. So, yes, you talk about how the SEC was kind of up for grabs a little bit and nobody really took it, but Tennessee was in that class probably above everybody else, even you know, oh, in the NFL tournament. So they went 14-2 and in the regular season in conference play. They were like head and shoulders above every other team in the conference. Um, you know, They were ranked number one at one point. That season, yeah. they they were they were in the top five for most of the year because that's that was one thing that's interesting like to see it play out from January to February on where you didn't have a lot of SEC teams in there. So yeah, Tennessee was really good. Here's the one that surprised me the most, and I, I had totally forgotten about this. He actually finished twelfth in rebounds as a guard, averaging six point six a game. Patrick Beverly was at Arkansas. Oh, that's right. Yeah, great reference, great reference. But it was oh, it was man. cool to see some of those like you know like, like I said with Georgia and obviously a lot of the talent they had and then some of them had left. But um, and Bama was awful. But like you know you had at this time I think they had on this roster you had four top one hundred players and like five of their top ten all time recruits whatever like you have on twenty four seven was on this roster. So there were a lot of teams. It seemed like there was a lot of talent for I don't know how everyone was so mediocre. I don't besides Tennessee. I don't think there was a first round pick a year after. This tournament from the SEC. I didn't look at that dang. Which is bizarre to think about. I mean, not not an entire no, first was. round. 
No, I don't think there was. There were only two in this one, yeah. and they weren't until 14 and 16. And I think the year after, and part of that because of Kentucky having this horrible year, there was not a first-round pick from the SEC. You can double-check me on that, but I think I'm right. I'm doing it right now. And uh, you're, Wait, so it would be 2009? So it would be the 2009 draft, yes. I believe there was... How many square feet? There was uh, 685 square feet. Okay. Um, yeah, you're right. Mizzou was... Uh, not in the SEC. Well, that don't yeah. count. Yeah, doesn't count. No. Yeah, crazy to think about, though. I mean, different times in SEC basketball. Okay, let's get to a little bit of the story arc, which we've kind of already gotten into a little bit. But your favorite line from the doc, did you have anything or you want me to start off here? I got like seven. Fire away. So, and I meant to bring this up earlier because you said the thing about, uh, what's his name, Billy Gillespie? Like, Kentucky, when all this was happening... I know a lot of people think that Kentucky fan, like if, if you're a Kentucky basketball fan and a Bama football fan, you're the worst person. You're just the worst. I'm sorry. I love you and thanks for listening, but that's that's tough. Um, I forgot how, I, I don't want to say like entitled Kentucky fans can be, but there was a quote from, and I forgot the guy who said it, but he was somebody working with the SEC during the tournament. And he said, and for a program of that stature to take one for the rest of the, the remaining institutions so that we may even continue this tournament, that was really quite remarkable. Like, the uh, fact that Kentucky even allowed them, like, you know what, we'll, we'll continue play. We'll play. We'll play two games tomorrow. Like, I thought that was so weird uh, that he, like, he was praising Kentucky for just doing what they're supposed to do. Well, correct me if I'm wrong, and I know that they lost this quarterfinal game, and that looked really bad. Kentucky looked like it was on the bubble, though. I think Kentucky ended up being a they, really low seed, so they probably needed the tournament as well. It wasn't just like, oh, Kentucky's sitting there with like a one or a two seed. They're just going to play because, you know, no big deal. They're going right. to help out everybody. But I think they were a really borderline team to make the NCAA tournament, and they still somehow got in. It probably maybe even helped them that Georgia went on to win the SEC championship and made it look like they just kind of ran into a, a team of destiny. A so buzzsaw. A buzzsaw. Yeah, I mean, they, they like... It was it was odd because they um, I think they were going to make the tournament anyway. They, they they played pretty well. I think they finished second overall in the conference at the end of the uh, yeah they were the regular season. Yeah. I, but um, they, I mean like they had lost like five games in a row mm. in the first month of the season, which was I don't I, I think they would have made it based on name alone. But yeah, you're right. It was it was very odd. My favorite line. Uh, I'll interrupt just and then you can you can fire off the rest of yours. Um, came from Joe Dean Jr. who was uh, paired with. Tim Brando on the broadcast during the the games that they had on Friday night. He said, after the fact, on the dock, he said, my first thought was that we were being attacked by terrorists. It was was in 2008, so like kind of within that window. I saw you put that in the dock, and uh, it was very interesting. The the sound that that tornado made, I imagine for the people who were there in the Georgia Dome that day, you know, they was described as like a train track going, a train going across yeah. the Georgia Dome roof. I imagine some of the sounds that you heard from that were unlike anything before. And I give Joe Dean a little bit of credit for saying what was on his mind. By his, you know, I don't know if that's where my mind would have went, but hey, his did. Yeah, I've heard train a lot. Not terrorists. Like, like I've never heard terrorists, but that T came out of his mouth. I was like, oh, I, oh, I did not know where that's going. Yep. Okay. Um, so I had a couple that I thought were pretty cool. And, uh, so there was Bill Rafferty said in the finals because by the way Bill Rafferty and and Vern Fun or wow Vern <laughs> Lundquist uh, those two on a call that's incredible that's just absolutely incredible but he said they're going to change their schedule next year they're only playing double headers that was, I thought a, that was pretty funny great line um, 
the former commissioner, Mike Slive, he had a pretty good quote. And he said, that's why we play, uh, which I thought was pretty cool. Because it's yeah. like, you know, especially with like with college basketball and how that goes. Um, it, so who, I forgot who said this. We said, there's no way you can ask a team to play Saturday morning and then play again Saturday night. Mm-hmm. That's a good cold take for podcast, yeah. Yeah. So, and then my favorite line of the whole thing, and I uh, admittedly teared up when I saw this, and I know this is going to come to a shock, uh, as a shock to a lot of Georgia fans, but this is just something that, like, and again, I was along for this run because I was, you know, again, living in Georgia with my, my one of my roommates and closest friends is a huge Georgia fan. It was so much fun to get like got, get caught up in this this run they had this weekend. And it, there was like, they at one point of the doc they talked about uh, there's like two people that had passed away from this actual yep. uh, tornado. And one of the guys' names his name was Mike Turner. He was the tornado survivor, and he had lost his wife of 47 years, which was just gut wrenching. And he was going over his injuries, and it sounded like the side effects of like some kind of prescription medicine you would take. It was like I had a split pelvis, I uh, broke, I tore every ligament in my knees, I had like broke both my legs, broke, broke my legs, spine, yeah. like yeah, all this crazy stuff. And he said this, and I quote: uh, "I had to not give up. You know, you don't give up." The dogs didn't give up. And if the Bulldogs, if, if they can do it, certainly I can do it. And I just thought that was such a cool thing because, you know, a lot of times we talk about how, like, it might mean too much or, or people, you know, take stuff, especially in the SEC, uh, too seriously. And I just thought this was something that is really relatable. And mm-hmm. it, it, people outside of this this region may think it's stupid, but it really, I hate to say this, but it really does mean, like, a lot more to people down here. And And for this guy to say that, in the midst of such tragedy, I just thought it was interesting, like the unique relationship fans have with these institutions. And it was, it was really cool. And then he also said, uh, the most precious things you have are, are memories. And then I broke down crying. Yeah. That, that, was, that part was, that was like, tough. all right, you, you just want me to cry at this point. That's, that's what you're yeah. looking for. How about even the bus driver, the bus driver had a heart attack. The Georgia bus driver had no idea about any of that. And then apparently we find out they're like, oh yeah, we should win it for our bus driver too. <laughs> I don't know if they're playing for him, but <laughs> Weird. He, it didn't even say what team. I think it's, like, they said I, Georgia that he was for okay. the, for Georgia. So in like the in the little bottom part, which is like introducing his name and who he was, it just said Bus. I was like, why is he on who? here? Like, what is? Yeah. So, but when I was watching that, I I hate to say this, but I started laughing because in the midst of all this chaos, they just throw in this little blurb like, oh yeah, this guy had a heart attack, Tony yeah. over here. <laughs> he had just just coughing up a lung and had like twelve pulled sausages, and so he was like. He he brought it up, and all I could think of was the scene from Stress Relief in the office where mm. all this stuff's happening yep. during the CPR scene, and then all of a sudden, like this bus driver was basically Dwight turning. He's like, "Hello, Clarice." <laughs> I was like, "What?" Like, just it gets even weirder. <laughs> to their credit, for for this doc, I, I thought that they did such a great job of interviewing so many people. I mean, to track that guy down, the bus driver who had a heart attack twelve years. I mean, it's it, this doc was made more recently than 2020. But I, I still thought that that was really impressive and it spoke to the amount of people that they were able to contact to do this and it made the overall product better, I thought. Um, I thought it was kind of, uh, you know, childish on his part to kind of one-up the team that weekend. Right. You know, like they, they should have had the, the, the cardiac kids. They couldn't even say it that weekend. Yeah, it's not about you, man. The thing that you didn't know slash remember until rewatching or researching this um, we, we hit on this earlier, so I won't spend too much time on this. The the Georgia having nine scholarship players or eight or whatever it was on the roster, uh, the fact that Felton had kicked a couple of players off the team right before the start of the season. I mean, he said that they were pretty much built like a team that was not 
in any position to to go on a run like this in three days that they only went seven eight deep and that was with a walk on and the fact that the seven guys who actually played needed IVs in between those two games which there was what like a six hour break probably even less than that in between the quarterfinal and semifinal game between Kentucky and then the one that they had to play later against Mississippi State. Well, and and also. Like, I would have been pissed. We talked about this a couple weeks ago at the Combine. They were they were supposed to tip off. I don't know how the SEC tournament always does this, but it's like, all right, yeah, we got two games in the afternoon, two at night. We're going to take a break. And every time they do that, I'm like, you know what? Why don't we not take a break? Why don't we just start the games? Because you know damn well when they have the 7 o'clock game, it's going to somehow end at like 9.45. So they're just waiting until like 11.30 yeah. before they called it, which is outrageous first off. well they have to do that from, then, from a logistics standpoint so that they can they they sell the tickets in sessions as opposed to selling right. for all four games they clear the fans out but yeah i mean it, i agree it's it's very inconvenient right so then of course like that the seven o'clock game goes to overtime you're sitting around waiting 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 and they're like they'd even said like we heard they were gonna just have the tip off for the first game at like two or three to kind of give us some more time to rest and then the sec was like nope 12 o'clock yeah it's like because like in the doc it even says like you know, they, they talked about kind of pushing the, the start time back, and then like, it just cut, and it says, 12.05, tip. Yeah. And I was like, okay, <laughs> I guess we didn't do that. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so I, I, I forgot, uh, I, I just forgot like how crazy that whole Friday night into Saturday day was. And, I, I mean, just a lot. Like I, I, the, like I said, the on-air thing for 64 minutes, I forgot about that. I definitely thought Albert Jackson, number 34, he's the one that had, like, the big dunk, I think, against, I think against Arkansas. Oh, yeah. Um, I thought he was going to be the best player at, in the history of the world. He was like 6'11", 270. I was like, this guy is the best athlete on the face of the earth. He was not. He averaged like 3.7 points per game. So Marler's mid to late 2000s takes, one of which that he was going to be the best player in the world, that yeah. Nelly, Tim McGraw, <laughs> over again. I'll do it over again? What's, it, what's the name of that song? You know what it is. Over and over again. Over and over God, again was going to be the best song of all time. And that Ryan Cabrera... A lyric of his was going to be worth a tattoo. Dude, I went to like I spent my twenty first birthday at an OAR concert that I drove across state lines for. Like it was, I don't know what I was doing back then. Um, but no, it was. Uh, I, f- I forgot how much fun that team was to watch, and, and it was it was cool because um, I, don't, I think I've told you this before. This is going in two thousand eight. I, I ended up ha- taking a semester off because of just like some stuff that had happened, where like I was going to like delay graduation and like all this other crap. So I almost moved to Athens that summer. Ooh, that would have been dangerous. And so we, it, like, that's why I didn't do yeah. it. I was like, I need to go home to Patty Sue because otherwise it's going to be a problem. Um, the last thing outside of, and I've, I've saved this for the end, and I'm going to make you listen to it anyway because the the tournament itself, which we'll save like for the for the very end, I forgot how incredible that tournament was. Um, but for this this team specifically, I forgot that after all of that, they got on a 22 to seven run to start the finals against Arkansas. Yep. They came out ready to roll. And you would think that this team is going to come out gas and eventually they're going to wear down. And they would have moments like that during the game, but they should have worn down much earlier. They, I even forgot that they had the two previous games before the, um, before the second game on Saturday had both gone into overtime. The Ole Miss game and the Kentucky game both went into overtime. There's this great shot of Mississippi State coach Rick Stansberry because uh, he's you know sitting there watching both you know he's watching this quarterfinal game this atypical quarterfinal game at Georgia Tech and he just smiles when it goes into overtime 
and he's like, "This is great! I can't believe we get to we get to just play some team that's really gassed and is in you know these weird circumstances playing the second game." Of you the had day. a tornado go through a building in downtown Atlanta while your while the team you were playing was at the free throw line in overtime. Yeah, and then the next day this game goes to overtime. Yeah, I, that's yeah. Stansbury admitted that's doing something right. He admitted all their prep too went into Kentucky and that they probably weren't as prepared as they could have been to face Georgia. I mean, there was a team that, you know, should have won that game, and they're like, well, I guess we'll have to figure it out on the fly, and it did not work out so well for Mississippi State. Okay, great hypothetical for this specific story. What would have happened afterwards if the result was flipped? Now, I think there's there's two ways to, to kind of tackle this question because it's, it's different than what we usually do on adjustment more if we're saying the final score is flipped with the team, something like that. So what if Alabama's three never went in against Mississippi State on Friday night? That's pretty much what the doc was based on. This this three that Mikel Riley hits. Oh, really? That the whole the whole doc was based on that? Well, the, I mean, the title was based okay. on that. It kind of sets the stage for it. I thought you would be on board with that because it was, a, it was Bama hitting a three. Um, so... Mississippi State could have and should have fouled. They were up three, and Rick Stansberry yeah. lost his mind when they couldn't foul. They could have called a foul on this. They reach fouled. In. They fouled. They fouled on, on this reach in at half court. Guys, it should have. If been you fouled. haven't seen the doc, spoiler alert: SEC refs still sucked oh, in two thousand eight. Like bad. this was, you know, you, even further when that last shot, Mikael Riley got off. There was 0.5 seconds left, and he came off a screen, caught the ball, set his feet at three, and then put up the shot. There's no way that he got that shot off with with that amount of time. I thought he had two seconds left. I thought he had 2.5 seconds left. he had 0.5. Okay. I I think that, though, there are so many different instances, that being one of them, where this could have turned out so much differently. And we talk about the ramifications of, okay, this is a shot that just— it looked like it was rimming out. It hit both sides of the rim and then bounced oh, off Jesus. the backboard and came back down, which that never happens like that, ever. It, it always rims no, in, it rims out. No, it doesn't, Connor. Well, you're saying this like it's a bad thing, but the shot going in forced overtime and, like we said, hopefully saved thousands of lives. Had this shot not gone in, then who I, knows what I kind hear of what disaster we would have been talking about. I hear what you're saying. It just it's it, You're putting me in a tough spot to choose between advancing to the, the the semifinals of the SEC tournament and thousands of lives. It might mean too much, Marler. Too I'm, much. Lying. I'm lying. I'm yeah. lying about that, yeah. But, I mean, the, the what-ifs of that, you know, Mikel Riley turns out to be the, this hero, and obviously he didn't know it at the time. He was just a kid who, who made a very timely jump shot, but it, the I lives that could have been saved are... team was. Yeah, I mean, um, I, I think, though, that there are so many different what-ifs with that. Another what-if. We talked about this a little bit earlier. What if they had just made the decision to cancel the tournament? They're like, you know what? We've got scaffolding falling. We've got cranes moving back and forth at the Georgia Dome. We need to cancel this tournament, and we'll just crown the regular season champ as our automatic qualifier. There were discussions to do that. I mean, that seemed, at the time, that seemed easier than the logistical nightmare that they had to face where they had these full-time employees pulling all-nighters. And if you don't understand what goes into putting on an event like this, go watch this doc and watch what that crew had to do just to get everything up and running at Georgia Tech where they had spring break going on. Yes, there was nothing there, but they didn't even have concession stands or security guards or any. They didn't have the infrastructure to all of a sudden be like, let's have an event. I'm pretty sure they never even got clearance to do it. I think they were just like kind of like snuck in. 
Yeah, and just like it's like somebody get some bolt cutters. So we're gonna go in here. They could have easily just been like, you know what, this is this is ridiculous. Let's let's not deal with any of this. But apparently, you know, we find out after that that Felton was one of the the coaches, obviously, who was pushing them to want to do this. And the what could have happened would have just been we wouldn't be talking about this story, obviously, to this day. You, my friend, went down a rabbit hole though. So they it's amazing. They didn't. Oh, this is. They didn't want to go to Georgia Tech. That wasn't the first choice. Phillips Arena was the first choice, but Marler, why couldn't they have the SEC tournament continue at Phillips Arena? So, uh, it, admittedly, like I said, this was the most enjoyable rabbit holes I went down. This rabbit hole was so useless, and I couldn't have been more consumed by it. Like, we were like 10, 15 minutes into the actual dock, watching the dock, and then they were like, yeah, you know, we, we were trying to, had to move it somewhere. To, we couldn't move it to Phillips Arena because there was an event there, and I was like, I was like, hold on, wait, what? Like, what do you mean event? Like, what was the event? And for whatever reason, this like consumed me because I, I just knowing growing up in the state, being from Atlanta, I knew it had to be something stupid. It just had to be something stupid because, to be honest, they probably should have been playing at Phillips Arena the whole time. Like, I, yeah. I, I was surprised by the amount of numbers that they said they had and like the tickets they sold that weekend for the tournament. They said that they had, yeah. So let's keep in mind that Phillips Arena, I think, sat like sixteen to nineteen thousand, and. I don't know if I believe that anyway, because this season was a down year for the whole conference. Nobody was any good. You think, like, Vanderbilt was the second best team in the conference. You think they were traveling? Kentucky fans always travel, though. I mean, they always do. Agree, but not 20,000. Not 20,000. For an 18-win team. So, they did kind of catch fire late in the season. Anyway, um, I was so consumed by this, and part of the reason why is, so I, I Googled, I was like, what concert was in Phillips Arena, March 15th, 2008? And the first thing that popped up was Avril Lavigne's World Tour from 2008. And I was like, no oh, way. Gosh. And I click on it, and it was not. And that just triggered me. I was like, I have to find it. I have to find it. I, I was like looking up like old AJC and Atlanta Magazine archives. Never found it. That's no idea. tragic. If anybody knows what, what, was, what was at Phillips Arena that following night where they could not move the SEC tournament there, please tell us. Please tell me it was. If you, I, it, maybe it was a Petey Pablo concert. I don't know. I have no idea. If you don't know, please just make something up and send it to me because it, it is. I, I hate. I hate this. <laughs> wrong, I hate this whole thing. Wrong answers. I'm like, over. how can I not work Google correctly? <laughs> so anyway, yeah, I think that was a. But but other than like, and I know I said the whole thing about the rabbit holes. And every time we do this one, like this is like where you have like the biggest conspiracy theories. Like what could have happened mm-hmm. if they? It. I. I wrote down nothing. I don't think anything would have changed. I, I think when you brought up the thing about canceling the tournament, I think they were trying to lean towards that because. Like you said, Kentucky, I don't know if they were a bubble team, but they were not, we were not getting a lot of teams in the tournament, like guaranteed. And it was a, a, they ended up getting six in because Georgia won. Um, But, you know, the fact that Kentucky was an 11 seed, I I, I think maybe they would have, I think that's probably why they wanted to try to cancel it possibly. But I wrote down, honestly, not much would have, would have changed because. Sunyata Gaines was never drafted. This didn't like boost his his draft stock. Had a cup of coffee in the like NBA, free agent. but yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, he made it to the, the league, but I'm saying he yeah. was like it was it didn't like boost his draft stock, and really no player to boost their draft stock. Um, UGA still lost in the first round of the of the tournament. Felton was still fired less than a year later yeah. after this run, yeah. which I think is the biggest surprise. And then you look at the, the teams that actually made the tournament. It didn't change anything crazy, good or wor- like or worse or better or worse for any specific team because you have six teams make the tournament. Only one makes it to the second weekend, and that's Tennessee, who was the, the two seed in their region. 
you're right. Maybe we're looking a little bit too micro with this and we should go macro. And I would have to go back and really look this up and try and find out when the, the, the ball for this got rolling. But could this have expedited the need for a new stadium in Atlanta and expedited the process for Mercedes-Benz, yeah. which was better suited to handle something like that than the Georgia Dome was? I, I mean, looking at the, already a hole in it. the basic structure of the roof was was built better to handle this. Could something like that have made them? I mean, they were talking to all these engineers and stuff in the dock, and they're just like, yeah, we really weren't prepared for anything like this. I'm not sure if that went into the planning process that went into Mercedes-Benz or something like that. But if something like that can make you take a step back and go, whoa, let's maybe reevaluate how we're doing things and put more measures in place in case something like that does happen. Right. Because you got to remember... And you, I don't need to remind you this. I'm saying this to, to the listener. Well, then don't, Connor. <laughs> but Atlanta is such a big hub for these big national events. And they host Super Bowls. They host Final Fours. They host the Olympics, for crying out loud. And if you're going to be bidding on things like this, if other cities are going to point at you and be like, hey, look what this just happened at this at this place over here. Yeah. And it, was, it was a dump. I'm not saying that this is directly what led to Mercedes-Benz. But if that played any sort of process in what came to be Mercedes-Benz, I wouldn't be stunned. Uh, are you done talking shit about my city or what? <laughs> I said good things. I said they have great so, events, man. No, I, I, I definitely get that um, idea. I don't. So I would say no because at the time, and this is something we should have touched on earlier. To be honest, the the dome was only sixteen years old. Like it was still a very very new stadium. They had they had hosted two Super Bowls. Oh, that's right. They ended up getting the Final Four in twenty thirteen. Um, you know, I, what ended up, the Mercedes-Benz thing, one of the things they were trying to, um, what went into that was they wanted to get a, a, a soccer team. They wanted to be able to host a Super Bowl and like national championships and all that kind of stuff. They also are trying to get the World Cup. That was something that was like, went into that. But this was, it was interesting because, you know, one of the things I looked up was, was this something that we had already seen before? Like, remember when the, the thing happened in Minnesota um, before like the Vikings game? Like in the old. Yeah, with the snow the, the that entire, collapsed on it. Yeah. Yeah, so that was like two years after this. So we really hadn't seen anything too close or too similar to this, like except for maybe that that World Series game in '89, like mm-hmm. you brought up. So or '88, whatever, whichever one it was. '89. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Yeah, you're right. '89. So I don't know if that would have really changed things. And again, like the SEC was so underwhelming, even in the tournament. Like they, one team made it past the second round. Three teams made it past the first round, and in in, in the losses where they like each team got beat in those losses that bounced them out of the tournament, they lost by an average of 16 points each mm. team. Mm. So I, I don't know if much would have changed. One last question. And it's a dumb question on that subject. It, it, doing the, the time frame in my head. And I didn't, like I said, I didn't grow up in this area, so I didn't know stuff like this. Georgia dome built after they got the Olympic bid before they got the Olympic bid as before part of the Olympic bid. It was before, but honestly, I don't think they I'm sure they did something, but I don't remember anything being in the dome. Hmm. I mean, handball and all that kind of stuff was in in the Congress Center. Right, right. Hmm. Basketball was in uh, the Omni. Actually, no, you're right. Uh, the basketball was in was in the dome. I think. Okay, that would make sense. So that makes sense. But all right, last thing here: the play or image that we're always going to remember when thinking of this. I don't think a play is necessarily what this would really call for the image that i'll always remember is the the georgia dome raptors just swaying yeah. and the, the sight of watching it look like this could probably come down at any given moment or you could all of a sudden just have massive holes in the roof and who knows what would happen after something like that but just thinking 
That is about the last place on planet Earth that I would want to be standing right now. Yeah, um, th- like yeah, the the image that like you definitely remember, like the lasting image is that weird zoom in. It's like this very eerie zoom in yeah. from the camera, like going into like where you see like oh my god, there's a hole in the thing. Because mm-hmm. like last night when I was watching it, like I think it was the Kentucky AD. It was like you know they, they had a bolt like like fall a foot for me and my son. And I remember thinking to myself, I was like, it's a bolt. It's not that big. From that high, though. And then, like, th- and it was also, like, a massive bolt. Yeah. It was not, like, like a small little thing. And and I remember saying that. And then, like, five seconds later, I got up to go to the bathroom, and I stubbed my toe. And I went down, like, <laughs> just a soccer player in, like, the World Cup and just was whining. I was like, I'm never going to walk again. So, yeah, that was pretty tough. Um yeah, so that's definitely the lasting image. Now, listen, I know you don't want to do this because I've already dragged this this uh, episode well, on for fine. too long, but we're we're gonna nerd out for a second. Okay. This is gonna be a new segment. Ooh, I like where you're going with this. I know where you're going with this, but I like it. This deep dive that I did, I just thought this was there were so many cool things that were happening at the time. Um, real quick, one thing that I, I didn't remember or didn't know, I guess, until rewatching this, I also forgot that Georgia went to the first round and played Xavier, who was a team that was like a three seed. Georgia was a fourteen mm-hmm. seed. They were up 35-26 at the half. And at and all lost like, by, what, 12, I think? Yeah, lost by 12. Um, so I, I forgot about that because I thought, you know, maybe this is going to be a whole thing. Um, so the two things I want to nerd out about real quick is the 2008 college basketball, like the draft class and the tournament itself. And that's what I forgot about most is how incredible this, this tournament was as a whole. Um, and then before that, I want to talk about this baseball thing because I, I thought this was, this was like weird for me because I was going through – and I, I do remember this being like I'm probably romanticizing it a little bit, but I do remember it, like that 2005 class for when they had just won the SEC championship in football, and they were really, really good. I mean, they had won it in 2002. They were top five team in 2003, and then, you know, so anyway, so they're a really good football team. And you have that baseball signing class, and you have that that football signing class as, or I'm sorry, the basketball signing class as well. And I'm going through because I, I remember that like. I played with, like, you know, Brandon Phillips, his little brother was was one of the, he was a shortstop that signed with Georgia, and he got drafted in the second round, ended up not going. I, I played with him in summer ball, and then, like, a kid I played with in high school, Nate Moreau, he was a lefty pitcher that was, like, he was a lefty throwing, like, 92, so you knew he was going to be drafted. He ended up going to UGA, but they had so much talent in that in that class, so I'm looking through the, the Major League Baseball draft to see, like, who all ended up not going to Georgia and, and where um, they were drafted. And there's a kid named Kieran Pope, who... Beat us semifinals my my senior year it was not great. Not better. Um, he I think he ended up getting drafted like the third round or something like that, and just all these like great talent. So I'm going through and, and you have all these guys that, that not in a rude way, but they didn't really pan out in in like the major leagues. Like the catcher Jonathan Egan, a couple other guys. Beckham obviously did pan out, but he went to Georgia. I'm going through it, and so I just go to MLB.com and I'm looking at the that that draft class, and it's you should check it out because if you're like a baseball fan, that first round was loaded with people that are still in it. I'm looking through it, like all the players from the state of Georgia that were drafted, and you see all these players that were committed to Georgia, ended up going pro, whatever. I go to the very last one that was drafted from the state. It was a man named Gerald Posey from Lee County, Georgia, who was drafted in the 50th round, which is the last round, uh, at number 1496. And I'm pretty sure there's like only 1,500 total players drafted. And... He was listed as a pitcher, and I played against him as well in college. He was the smoothest shortstop hitter, all of it, I've ever seen in my entire life. Best hands are... It was, it was Buster Posey. Oh, I've heard of him. I've heard of him. Buster Posey was drafted then behind all of these guys. Decided like to go... The fifth to last Decided player. to go to college instead. Yeah, probably a good decision yeah. for him. But Jason Hayward was so drafted that year too, wasn't he? 
So Jason Hayward was yeah he I I didn't no, I didn't see him I think he was 2006. He, yeah he was 2006 because he actually played in high school with a buddy of mine Kyle Price um and he's out of McDonough so he he was drafted 2006 his, his debut was like 2008 I want to no, say no his debut was later than that that much I know because I remember watching that as a sophomore in college and he hit a home run against the Cubs in the season opening game Jason Hayward was drafted the first pitch wasn't it. Um, something like that. 2007 MLB draft. So okay. in between, split the difference there. So yeah, I, I did not like him a lot because he replaced Jeff as like the new fan favorite. Jeff not yeah. A, yeah. So, but um, yeah, like there was just I always forget how much talent there is. Like is from Gwinnett County, like from like a baseball standpoint, or the state of Georgia in general. There was just there's so much talent and some of those guys and like names and stuff like that. But when you get to the actual basketball, uh, like the the March Madness or NCAA tournament, whatever you want to call it, that's I wish that, it, like more than anything, we could relive that specific tournament. And I hate the way it turned out for teams like Georgia and the SEC was terrible in it. But it was so weird because you look at like the the players in the draft: Derrick Rose, Michael Beasley, who I was convinced was going to be a stud. Everybody just was just like one of the best. Yeah, number two overall. Then you have like guys like OJ Mayo, uh, Russell Westbrook, Kevin Love. Kevin Love. I forgot Russell Westbrook and Kevin Love were on the same team, and Darren Collison was on that team. Yeah. So good. yeah, Eric Gordon drafted seventh overall. Uh, the Lopez brothers, Roy Hibbert, JaVel McGee, Serge Ibaka, those are all first-rounders. And then you have Deontay Jordan was at A&M. DeAndre Jordan, yeah. Yeah, so it's a second-round guy. And then you look at the actual, like, tournament itself, because I was reading, like, you know, kind of recaps of it. I totally forgot this is the year that Steph Curry went off. He was unconscious. I mean, just... It was incredible. Unbelievable. Like, th- that that in itself, like, watching Davidson alone was, I mean, that was fun. I mean, that that was the yeah. type of thing that no matter who you are as, as a sports fan, you tuned in for Steph Curry. And he, he captivated the first few weekends. But what also made that tournament so good was that we had one of the best championship games ever between Kansas and Memphis. Yeah. This great game between Derrick Rose and what turns out to be, you know, Mario Chalmers hitting that shot to force overtime after, you know, Memphis couldn't make a free throw down the stretch. Does that lead? Derrick Rose couldn't. Yeah, Derrick Rose couldn't. Um, does that lead to Cal Parry eventually going to Kentucky? Yeah, probably maybe played a part in that. But um, the tournament was incredible. It was really, really yeah. good. I remember that for sure. So you have uh, Steph Curry averaging 32 points per game in four games. He had 40 in the first round. Like, there was, like, some run against Georgetown, who was a very good team. Like, they had Roy Hibbert and, I think, Patrick Ewing uh, Jr. He outscored their entire team to close out the second half of that game. He, he outscored them 25-22 to 22 in the final 12 minutes. Like, it was just – it was so much fun. Like, he just he, – he took over. And you had other guys like Blake Griffin, Tyler Hansborough, uh, just a lot. Like, the, you know – and it was also the first time in tournament history where all four number one seeds made it to the final four. Oh, that's right. It was it was very chalky, yeah. as I like to say. That's there you go. Very and chalky. Memphis was like you know that that team. Memphis was thirty eight zero going into the national championship game before they missed that that uh, free throw. They were thirty eight zero. Wait, were they really? And they lost. Yeah. All right. Now we gotta I'm, now we gotta look this up to we're we're looking up we're looking up stuff like Jason Hayward's draft stock because I I usually pay attention to this because. You know, obviously, Indiana has got the last remaining undefeated streak. Yeah, okay. Holy cow. That's that's unreal. Oh, hold on. I'm, they, I'm wrong losses. here. They had two losses. Two losses. They were 33-1 and one going into... Uh, they had the loss to... Who did they lose to? An SEC team. Tennessee. Yep. I was going to say that earlier. I was, I almost brought that up, but I was like, wait, wait, am I off a year? No, that was a, a very, very historic game. And 
Um, Tennessee fans probably remember that. So that was okay. That was what happened in two thousand. Yeah, great year. Year I graduated high school and started college. Fun year. Damn it! I wish I would have sent you the um, the the first round from the MLB draft that year because it was it was loaded. Justin Upton and and all those guys too. And this is also the year. Fun fact for Georgia fans. I know that um, this this will feel good for a lot of you to hear. This was the year that I found out my uh, high school girlfriend uh, made out with Noshad Moreno. Oh yeah, sick brag. Which is you know honestly that's you know that's a glow up. Good for you. You you just tip your cap at that point. You just yeah. say you know what, if that guy can cry like that on national TV, he's he's earned it. He has earned it. This was fun. This was good. Hopefully everybody enjoyed us doing a different take on it. Just meant more. We've got a few more of these that we're going to be cranking out. I mean, this is going to be a weekly staple now. Now that we are in hashtag no sports zone. This is uh, something that we're going to be doing a lot of. I hope everybody enjoys these. Um, give us some feedback, games that you want us to do. We've got a, a few that we, we definitely want to do in the near future. We might get into some more basketball. We might not. Um, but we're definitely going to be doing football ones in the very, very near future. Wanted to do something like basketball related just because of, obviously, everybody's going to be thinking about how much they miss basketball right now. So go watch Miracle 3. It's awesome. It's great. I'm going to go down a rabbit hole of watching a lot of these SEC story docs. They're very good. They're very, very good. Yeah. And by the way. Which, yeah, we should rank those. We should. I'm going to be writing about a sports doc once a week on SDS called Doc Discussion. It's going to be great. It's going to be fun. Already writing about, I'm writing about this one. If you want to read more about it, um, some stuff that we didn't necessarily talk about here, but um, that I have that, that'll be on SDS on Sunday. We have a ton of content on SDS, by the way. I know there are people saying, hey, what are the world are people going to do? They're just going to end up talking about nothing. No, 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 no. We even have our, our co-founder, Kevin Duffy, cranking out stuff, writing about what everybody's watching, what's going on in the world, and we're going to have everybody covered from a content standpoint. Like That is not lacking at SDS. Adam Spencer's coming up with yep. weird rankings on a daily basis. Michael Bratton is still cranking out all the new stories, and I'm pretty sure he's going to do quarterback film studies in the near future probably too because he crushes those. But, yes, we have a lot of stuff on SDS. A whole lot. Yeah, we've even got 64 best moments of March Madness. Shout out to our editor, Chris Wright, who put that together. And we, yeah, 64. 64. There's a lot. I think I contributed, like, 15 to that or something. I don't know. It was a lot. Oh, yeah, I forgot to do that. Uh, good. Attaboy. I got, I got, I, I didn't get tasked with it. I volunteered because um, you're doing the one doc a week. So I'm going to be doing, a, like, a sports movie reviews. Ooh. Just minute long movie reviews, and like so, I was gonna start with over the top, and then one of my comedian friends had literally put out a one. He does like these as well, and he put one out of over the top on Monday. So I have to wait on that one for the TikTok. Probably gonna be the kids doing it on no, the TikTok. It's not TikTok. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, put that under TikTok. <laughs> We're gonna be coming back though. You're gonna be if maybe you're listening to this. If you're listening to this on Thursday, you're gonna get a chance to listen to us again on Friday because on Friday. It's Casual Friday, and guess what we are doing? We are not wearing pants. We're wearing pants, and we're going to power rank okay. some Office characters. We're going to get really heated on this. We're going to each come up with our own rankings. We're not going to try and come up with a consensus ranking because we realize every single time we do that, we, ne- yeah, we nearly bad. break up as a podcast, and it's that's not good. Yeah. We don't want any of that. Well, and we're still going to do fourth and wrong, too, so it'll be fun. We're going to do fourth and wrong at the end of it. Jay Woody's got the questions up. It's going to be great. Join us for Casual Friday as well. Download, subscribe, rate, review. All of those fun things. Marler, we don't need to remember, it might mean too much, we need to remember.
Go dogs. I was gonna say just one. That's fine too. That's fine. That's also good. Fucking good.